Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. In this episode of Cult Talk, Darlene Griffith joins me to talk about the early days of Kobu, back when it was the Forever Family back before Stuart changed the name to actually make it sound a little more legitimate. She met her husband there, and she talks about how they moved through their time in Kobu, how they slowly became aware that Stuart was a cult leader, and how they left. She describes it as a house of cards that came tumbling down. And it didn't happen the same way for both Darlene and her husband. And so she talks about what it's like being in a group that has coercive control over you, when your partner isn't quite realizing the same things you are at the same time. She also talks about what happened after they left and how they've moved through their lives since then, and all of the aftermath that can really affect the rest of our lives after being in a group like Kobu. Here's part two of my two-part interview with Darlene Griffith. It's true for any cult. A cult system has to operate on an idea, a false idea of exclusivity and a, and a really uh, warped ego, egocentric idea that you have the right way. Everyone else is wrong. So when you leave the cult, you're essentially saying, I'm rejecting what was told to me as the only right way. And now I have to go explore how this holds up or doesn't hold up to the rest of the world. Like, did that manifest for you in your how your family operated in how you found new churches and how you found work? You know, talk about some examples of how this how you kind of came up against this. One thing just I want to begin by saying is we didn't have the Internet back then when we left. <laughs> right. Now, if a person's in a cult and they leave, they have all kinds of resources at their fingertips. So. When we left, what would happen is my husband and I, we went back to Allentown where it all started because that's where my husband was from. And we would encounter other people who left and they would say things like Stuart is a false teacher or Stuart is a con artist or whatever they would say. And then we would have these discussions and I couldn't fully accept what they were saying because I was still entangled in the, in the group, in the cult, even though I'd physically left. And so I would try to defend Stuart and it took years, probably 10 years for me to actually call it a cult. 
I mean, I knew it, but I was afraid that if I actually verbalized it, I was maybe God would judge me. There was a fear there to call it a cult. Absolutely. When I finally did, I had such freedom. (laughs) But it took about 10 years to actually say the Church of Bible Understanding is a cult. So it was a number of things. It was I I went to college and I started encountering normal people. (laughs) That that really helps. And when I mean normal, I mean something as simple as they had dinner together as a family. They spent time together. They didn't go witnessing and uh, 24 hours. They weren't consumed by this a goal like we were 24-7 of constantly following some leader's regimen. Right. Some dictate they, from they above. Actually, they actually used their minds. Right. I think that's what it comes down to. They had thinking processes. Darlene, yep. you're so right. I mean, I feel like uh, indecision, binary thinking, black and white thinking, and guilt, shame, and fear were all after effects in my experience of being in a cult. And that's what you're speaking to. You know, the idea that you can use your mind and you can make sound decisions and you can really believe in yourself was uh, really tough, I think, for ex-COPU members. Yes, exactly. It was, we one of the struggles that I had when I started going to various churches, and it was really hard for me to commit anywhere because I would sit there and judge them, okay? On one hand, I saw that they were living normal lives, okay? And I liked that part. You know, they had picnics. They did things with their family. They went on vacations. Ooh, they could go vacation. to the circus. <laughs> right, you know. But then I thought, yeah, but they don't go street witnessing like we do. They don't know the Bible like we do, you know, my husband and I. They don't. And I started judging them through the lens of the Kobu standards. Right. And of course, they always came up lacking because who can fulfill those standards? We couldn't even fulfill them when we were there. (laughs) Exactly. No one could. Yes, exactly. So how is anyone outside of that environment going to fulfill strict Kobu standards, you know? And I began to see, and it took it took a number of years, I began to see that I was constantly making myself the arbiter of everyone else's salvation. I was the one who could decide if people were right with God or not. I was the one who could decide if they had the truth or not. And that arrogance was implanted in me in the Church of Bible Understanding. You know, actually, that seed was planted even back in the Forever family, honestly, even before Kobu. But it just it just grew and germinated and got worse as the years went on, I had to come to a place of saying, stop judging everyone else. That isn't your place. And that was a really hard place to arrive at. Because in Kobu, we did that with each other. As you know, there was all these standards of who was right with God, who was wrong. We had meetings where we judged each other's salvation. Oh, right. Stuart was doing that up to the day of his death. Yes. And so 
it was uh, it was the way we were taught. We were to judge everyone, everything constantly. The anxiety that it produces within a person is overwhelming because not only are you judging other people, you're worried, especially in the group, that you're being judged. When is it, when are they going to start judging you? Because you know that eventually you're going to be judged in that environment. And so it's very stressful to have to live under that. When we left, as I began to see this distorted thinking inside myself, I was my own counselor for the most part. Looking back, I didn't know that I should seek counseling. It wasn't even in my thought processes. I just, I was my own counselor. What can I say? Eventually, after we were out 10 years, I did seek some counseling. It helped. Although I have to say, the person who was counseling me sometimes would look at me almost like deer in the headlights. <laughs> like, <laughs> is this for real? Did you really go through that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> they just couldn't fathom such a thing, that there was such a group that had that kind of control over people. And I know, and, it, you, and, you, and you have to also kind of humble yourself to even admit that the control, I guess for lack of a better word, worked on you. You know what I mean? But it's, it, it's, it's no, there's no shame in it. I feel like that's tr what I'm trying to do with this podcast is, is let a lot of people tell their stories and, and see that, you know, all different walks kind of come into a situation like this. And when you're in a, a situation that is so seemingly absurd, it's hard to see it and it's hard to get over it afterwards, even if everything in you screaming out for normalcy is still there. You know, it's not just a bunch of wackadoodles who <laughs> are in there just believing anything. It's like, you know, in your heart, but getting over it is an emotional and, and spiritual process. Yes. And see, I think, too, a lot has been written about cult thinking since that time. If you remember the Jim Jones yeah. um, tragedy, that caused people to start thinking about cults a lot more than ever before. And many books have been written since then. But when we left, there wasn't a whole lot out there. And so even among Christians that I would meet, one of the first things they would ask me is, well, you should have read your Bible. You'd know that it was a cult. And I said, no, we read the Bible more than churches do. You have to understand we were reading the Bible every single day. We memorized the Bible. That wasn't the answer because he used the Bible as a means to control us. Right. For example, he would say the, the passage where it says there must be divisions among you so that those who are genuine can be seen. He used that as the standard for us judging each other. Right. And, everything, and you can take any, you can take any text and twist, twist it into your agenda. And that's what Stuart did. Exactly. Why are women like water? Because if you look in the Old Testament, all the women, where do they meet? They meet at the well. They meet at the well where there's water. And that's figurative of women being like water. And what is the nature of water? Well, it takes the path of least resistance. See? So, I mean, every single teaching had its root somewhere in a Bible verse, right. every single one. So you can't say, well, then you need to read the Bible 
because we did read the Bible. And that wasn't the that in and of itself was not the answer to being set free and to deconditioning yourself, you know, right. Deprogramming yourself. I think it's just a, I do think it is a slow process. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Anybody that says they've been in a group as controlling as the Church of Bible Understanding, and that when they physically left, they were completely free, I'm going to say 99.9% are being deceived in some way. You cannot believe all that we were taught and just physically leave and in a day be completely healed in your mind. You can't. I often say one of the most frustrating things about our experience is that it was paradoxical in the sense that on one hand, what we experienced in the group was real. It was genuine. Most of us, I would say, had a relationship with God. We had a relationship with Jesus. But at the same time that that was going on, there was these teachings that we were being taught that were wrong. You know, for example, the teaching that we didn't really have to obey the authorities. Right. Because God was above the authorities and we didn't have to trust police. We didn't have to trust parents, teachers, anyone, because they were all being controlled by the world. And so we deemed ourselves above the law, which is why we broke the law when it came to having people move into fellowships and why we had teenagers move in. And then when their parents wondered where they were, we moved them to other fellowships. Why? Because God was on our side. And if God's on your side, then everybody else out there who doesn't have God on their side doesn't have to be listened to. Right. And the, the odd thing about that is it actually does go against the Bible, where in Romans 13, it says that we should submit to the authorities. 
We should submit to the police. We should submit to the government, even when we don't want to. And we should pay our taxes. So it's kind of odd that we had, see, it, it was also selective, selective Bible verses that we were given as well. Right, absolutely. And that's common with any cult leader as well. I mean, what comes to mind when I think about rejection of authorities because you are above the law is what happened in Waco, you know, the Branch Davidians and what they were being told. And of course, they were picking and choosing a lot of passages from Revelations and things like that. To me, what a cult can do, what they do, because they are choosing their agenda and they just provide evidence based on whatever religion or belief system they pluck or create in Scientology's case with L. Ron Hubbard, you know, whatever, whatever you create or take, you're going to shape it to what your needs are. And to me, when I, when I think about what Stewart's needs were, he needed a, an army of workers to fund a system and he needed people to turn against one another so they wouldn't band against him. And he needed guilt and shame to keep them there. Absolutely. You said it in a nutshell, because without guilt and shame, Kobu could have never, and I hate to use this word, succeeded, <laughs> succeeded in the way that they did. Right. You know, really what it was all about, what it, what it became, and which is obvious to all those who are willing to see, is it became a group of people led by a man, a megalomaniac, who was consumed with control and wanted to get rich. And he knew that he could get rich by faithful, hardworking young people who wouldn't question his authority. He used God to manipulate and control people. And that is one of the most insidious evils, I think. It's one thing when you say to somebody, you know, there's a cult leader. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a cult now. That basically most of them use God, I suppose, when you really think about it in some way or another or some higher power. But how do you control a person if you don't use God as the authority? I think it'd be hard. I think most cult leaders know they can use some kind of um, whether they say it's God or Jesus, the Bible, um, some source like Heaven's Gate, whatever it is, they use that to control the minds of the people to get what they want. I often say it has nothing to do with intelligence. A lot of people in the Church of Bible Understanding were very intelligent. And you can see that in Heaven's Gate. The people weren't stupid because it has nothing to do with how much you know. They appeal to a sense of belonging. If you have this you want a sense of belonging and a part of something greater than yourself, join a cult. <laughs> and as long as you follow the rules, <laughs> as long as you follow the rules, you will be accepted and you will, you will succeed. But the minute that you question, that's when you're basically isolated. And that's, that's at the point. And that's why a lot of people leave, by the way. That's what partly led to us leaving is because my husband was no longer accepted by Stuart. In the beginning, he had fellowships. Stuart basically vetted him and supported him. And when the Church of Bible, and when, when we changed our name to Church of Bible Understanding and started the Manhattan Training Center, that was when my husband no longer had that status. And he was judged to be unfaithful. 
And so he didn't know, never had that relationship with Stuart again and was always looking for it. And this is what happened to a lot of people. Eventually, you know, when you are continually ridiculed, continually told you're worth nothing, continually sent the message, God doesn't love you, and yet you're giving 100% of your life. How long can you sustain that? There's a point where you must leave. Some people are still in Kobu today, and some have been there for many, many years. And, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's not kind of, it's very heartbreaking to me to think that your life would be just lost to uh, an insane, an insane man whose purpose was completely different than what you imagined when you joined, you know, and there you are all these decades later. I want to thank you, Darlene. I'm going to end it soon, but I want, I want to ask you one final question. What would you tell people who are in a group like this? Not Kobu necessarily, but just finding themselves kind of questioning a group that seemed all right at the beginning was giving them a sense of belonging, like you say, or a higher purpose, but it's starting to become oppressive. What's the, what's the first step in today's world? Well, that's a really profound question because as people were, you were each unique and what might work with one person to question a cult that they're in might not work with another person. But I would say you have to ask yourself, why am I here? And am I making the decisions in my life out of my own convictions? You have to examine yourself. The minute that you stop becoming yourself and become the, the how shall I say, when you begin conforming yourself to the vision of the leader and you stop becoming who you are, that's a red flag. You need to question what is the purpose of this group that I'm in and why do I want to be part of it and how is it going to help me as a person? But I think finally, you really have to understand how does mind control work. And it's not always an easy process because some group leaders or cult leaders, they, they, it's a gradual um, taking over, a gradual transformation of a person going from being a, an independent person who thinks on their own to slowly becoming a cult member. It doesn't happen overnight. So you have to look for the red flags in advance. And you have to watch, well, how are the other people treating each other? And look for the loaded language. If they have all this special language, unique, only to their group and nobody outside their group, that's a red flag right there. You have to ask yourself, well, why are they so unique? And also, finally, if they look at themselves as better, as wiser, as having a, a far greater goal in life than anyone else out there, then you have to ask yourself, well, why are they so special and everybody else is wrong? When they pit you, pit you against all the other people, all the other groups, all the other Christians, you have to ask yourself something, what's wrong with this? Right. Because 
this isn't this isn't the way we should be living, judging everybody else, and that we always come out on the, the top rung. We always come out as the ones who are the best, who are the wisest. That was what I learned in the Church of Bible Understanding, is that we pitted ourselves against everyone else, and we were the only ones in all the whole world doing it right. Right. That's a red flag. That's a red flag, baby. Darlene, thank you so much for talking about this today. I think how you've how you've put things is so helpful and it's it actually puts a lot in perspective for me hearing this. I mean, it's kind of like any abusive relationship. You don't just wake up one day and notice everything bad about it. You ha- you're right, you do have to ask yourself questions. You have to look outside of yourself for answers. In this day and age, like you mentioned earlier, there was no internet back then. Now there's so many resources available. So, but I, I appreciate what you said today. I think this is very helpful. Thank you. I, I was glad to have this interview. We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> 